thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcomed by Barb Babula, who is the VP of Patient Experience at Allegheny Health Network, and Dr. Jean Sosha, who is the Chief Patient Experience Officer at Allegheny Health Network. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. We are so happy to be talking to you guys. This is following on our theme of things that can really improve healthcare being compassion and love, which is funny because, you know, so so many times when you're looking for things that are ways to improve and you're trying to find the process and trying to operationalize those things, you don't usually get those soft skills. How do you operationalize or put a process into place for something like love? But you both say that this is a teachable skill. So whoever wants to take that, how in the world do you find the way to operationalize something like love? I find that really we've we've had a CARES model for years, meaning that we've defined behaviors that we feel like really uh, improve the patient experience. But they talked about empathy and compassion and listening and all of those things. Um, But throughout COVID and, you know, attending conferences and listening to other people, I really felt like we don't talk about love in healthcare. And of all of the industries where we should, I feel like healthcare is one of them. You know, we have airlines that use love in their, their wording and they talk about their employees and their customers that way. Um, but we don't often talk about true, you know, like beyond just compassion and empathy, but actually loving our patients and loving each other and not in, you know, in a weird way, but uh, making that connection with people um, in a way that not only enriches the patient and their experience and really feeling cared for and trusting us, but also in enhancing our, the reason we got into healthcare in the first place, uh, clinicians and, you know, really most people in healthcare didn't get into healthcare because they didn't want to care for people. So it's really keeping people, you know, getting them back in touch with those feelings of, you know, connecting with people in a really meaningful way and using love in our case was kind of a way of snapping people out of some of the complacency that we have around the words like compassion and empathy and um, using a strong word like love and promoting love in our network uh, really kind of snap people out of that mindset of like, what are they talking about? This is, this is different than the norm. And then explaining to them what that looks like in the workplace and with our patients. So we did several educational sessions around what does that mean? What does it look like? How can you exhibit this in your work, not only with your patients, but with each other um, to really tell them like, this is what we're asking you to do beyond those micro behaviors that we've identified in the CARES model. Like, what does that look like? And what does it mean? And they really latched onto it in a, in an exciting way. Um, you know, we had a lot of tchotchkes and things that we gave out to promote it. Um, and they liked that stuff. We put a, a song list together. They had to come to one of the trainings and bring a song with love in the title. And we had a six hour playlist that came out of that. Um, and we used that for patient experience week and for other things uh, to promote. But people really kind of, I think the timing of it was really important. 
kind of coming out of heavy things like, you know, that happened during COVID, I think people really embraced that idea and wanted to feel loved and wanted to, to share that with each other in a new and different way. Love is the ultimate expression of empathy and compassion. And so the centerpiece of what Barbara and I do is, and our focal point, our true north, if you would, is empathy and compassion. And how could we introduce that into our, our culture, into our organization, into our enterprise? How could we introduce it and explain it in a way that, that others could understand that? But if I if I would with my physician hat on here, uh, how could we explain it and convince providers? Well, uh, we have to look at it from they're they're a bit of a scientist background. They have a science background about them, so they would typically go, well, yeah, we we, we you know we get it. Show me the data. Tell me show me data that it's not present. And so we found that data. We have the data to show them. And for instance, there is a standardized way of questioning and, and called an empathy quotient. And we can literally measure empathy quotient. You can measure it on anybody, their empathy quotient. And we can look at an intern and see how, when, or I'm sorry, a medical student, and their empathy quotient is extraordinarily high. And we see that it declines as they go through their training. We start to ask ourselves, what is happening here? So they saw, once they start seeing some data there, they they might and hopefully would say, well, how do I fix it? So you can't go showing people you have an issue and you're not prepared to give them the answer or a solution to the issue. So we really had to prepare that solution for them now that they were ready to receive it. And that's what Barb and I have done. We provided that solution to how we can get them to and how we can all address this love issue or the opportunity for love and empathy and compassion and we can literally give them the skill set and how to uh, how to enhance that skill set but we also introduced a communication workshop and literally we looked at well i think i know how to communicate but no we looked at the fundamentals of communicating that are what we call relationship centered how does how does one create a relationship and and we provide that in that workshop, there's certain fundamental, hey, it starts with something as basic as asking the person's name. And how often in medicine do we not know the patient's name or they don't know our name? They can't remember our name as the provider. Something as fundamental as that. And we, we tend to nod. Yeah, you're right. That sometimes they can't remember our names because there's multiple physicians and providers taking care of you. It's hard to remember all those names, but it's one of the most fundamental things in creating a relationship, isn't it? And then we talk about emotions. And, and, and how can we acknowledge emotions and, and, and address the emotion? If you don't acknowledge it, it's going to be hard to address it. You have to acknowledge that we're human beings. We bring our human to work. There's going to be emotions that tied with everything that we do. Acknowledge them. And we also have to acknowledge that they have access to things like the Internet. And we don't want to, as we say, we give them, we want to, uh, we call it legitimize what they've done already. This is the world we live in now, and they can do an extraordinary amount of research before they even come to see us. Legitimize it. Don't poo-poo it. Don't cast aspersions on the fact that they went to Dr. Google, as we say. It's okay to do that and maybe validate what they found out with that. And that's some of the things we do right now when we teach that. Just to give you a few things that we teach in that communication skill set. 
I love what both of you have had to say, Jean and Barb. It's it's excellent. Uh, and I just maybe want to unpack it a little bit more. So I think when you were talking about the medical school component, maybe that gives our audience a bit of an insight. You know, empathy scores start high and then they decline over time. Is that what makes you feel like it's teachable? If it can go down, it can go up. Uh, if, if that's the case, do you have data that it can go up? Maybe you can dig into that a little bit more, Gene. Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, is it can, if it can go down, it can go back up again. And and while we haven't literally done empathy quotients on our providers, what we rely on is another metric. Uh, those who are familiar with healthcare might know it as the CAP scores. And we have things in that CAP score. One of them is a component or domain called rate the provider. And we've seen some of our providers who need, as we say, support, who are in the lower percentiles. We've had them go through the communication workshop, and we've seen their their provider scores increase as a result of that, or improve as a result of that. So th there's there's data to go with that as well. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, thank you for sh for for sharing that. That's really helpful. The other thing, I think you're also hinting at that, Gene, in your last part of your answer. Uh, previously, but maybe you can expand on that. And, and Barb, please jump in with that as well. Is both of you mentioned, what does compassion, what does love look like on a daily basis? You were talking about some of the things it doesn't look like, but please give us some examples of the things you share or you see in your settings and you say, you know what, this is what we're talking about. Uh, can both of you share something along those lines? We do a lot of education sessions with our teams and we actually invited uh, managers to come and bring stories. So it was their peers, you know, it wasn't just the patient experience team telling them. <laughs> um, their peers came with stories of how they exhibited love or saw love being shared in, in their workspace. So we had a story that I love to share about a couple that was hospitalized um, in one of our hospitals here. And they were both very sick um, and one was not expected to live and the staff went over and above to get those two people together so they could be there together for the you know last moments of one of their lives and um you know all the covid restrictions and all the things that you had to do they the staff just made everything you know they figured it out and made it work we have stories of um you know people assisting weddings you know in on the units and things like that and i don't think we're unique in that i think a lot of health systems have stories like this because at the end of the day aside from the regulations and the rules and all the you know scientific stuff we know is going on people will do what they need to do to help other people in those circumstances and just really you know and even things that people have done for their coworkers, but them hearing the stories from their peers of what love looked like to them really kind of helped bring it to life. You know, stories always really help us um, when we're telling, you know, about how compassion and empathy can make a difference in someone's life. Having a patient stand there and tell you how they've, you know, you've made a difference for them um, is really powerful. You know, we say all the time, you can connect with someone in less than a minute and um, then we show people how to do it. And, and it's really, you know, both rewarding for the patient and for you as a staff member. Honestly, it, it helps you connect. The connection, the human connection really um, adds value to you as a 
as a caregiver as well. We're a relatively large healthcare network of 10 hospitals. We have 22,000 employees. We have an academic component to this with medical students and residents throughout our organization as well. So one of the things we stress is, is when we have the opportunity is, is that we call it the three R's. We, you, you recognize it, you reward it, and you reinforce it. So we do that in a number of different ways. We may do it on a daily basis when we ask our leaders, our nurse leaders, anybody that's a leader, an executive leader, to round and make regular rounds and do those very things. And you emphasize, maybe you just want to call it bedside manner, whatever you want to call it. It's empathy and compassion. And that's part of your reward, recognize, and reinforce. When you are, we have uh, monthly or every, uh, yeah, monthly, what we call executive leader rounding or transformational rounds, where we take executives, literally uh, as from, the, from the, what we call our Fifth Avenue suite, where the ex- administrators exist, and we bring them into the hospitals and we round with them, and we take them to the patient-facing folks, if you would, and we acknowledge them, and they ask them what they do in terms of supporting the healthcare organization, and they ask the patient face of it, what you do, and you, we, we make an effort to reward them and, and, and in terms of recognition. That's a big piece of the way you reinforce this, and you, you, you make it the fabric or part of your culture. I think a couple of the things that you said are really interesting. First of all, you, by training, are an OBGYN. That's where you spent most of your career. Yes. You're working clinics now. And that's interesting because I think it might have been whenever I was going through my high risk maternity care, they said the only time healthy people go to the hospital as patients are in OBGYN. Yes. Kind of weird because you're healthy, but you're going to the hospital. And so I think you have a unique perspective because you have people who are probably happy and excited and nervous and all the things, Mm -hmm. but they're still going to be a patient. So it's sort of a weird dynamic for them. Mm -hmm. But then you were also talking about how you have to reward people. And in a different interview, we talked about how people who are inherently compassionate and empathetic, the way that people who go into medical fields are, do it because of the love and it fulfills them with the love. So how do you reward that? Because we were saying that sometimes when you do things like getting an incentive for donating blood can sometimes be unmotivating. You're like, I just want to give you the blood. I don't need the Amazon card. So how do you walk that line with these people rewarding people who feel that reward for the care that they're giving. So is it the shout outs that matter to them or being able to just have the recognition? What does reward mean? You know, it it is remarkably simple. We think that sometimes it has to be attached to some sort of gift or monetary bonus. They just want to be recognized more than anything else. So we may do it on a, a weekly operations call. We read a letter out to all the leaders that, that was addressed from a patient to one of our environmental services folks. It might be something as simple as that. It, it, it is simple as we call it the, the, the concept of gratitude. Uh, it, it is what, what's interesting about gratitude is when you reward somebody, they love it. But the bottom line is you also get a surge. You get a, a dopamine surge, if I may, from just showing gratitude for, you, for yourself and why we try to reinforce it. Just try it. You'll see that you will have a better day as well just by the mere fact that you told somebody thank you. But the mere fact you took the effort to do that and acknowledge them, everybody feels that surge. And that's what we have to, it, it, sometimes it's nothing more than a reminder. And, and that you don't have, it doesn't have to be complicated. 
doesn't have to be this bells and whistles and balloons go up. Just as part of your daily, when you come into work, you say to somebody, thank you. It's extraordinary. On what you were just saying, I guess that's why to, to me and to Stephanie, I think this resonates so much that not only is it that we're doing something, love or compassion, gratitude, as you're calling it, appreciation, it helps the recipient, but it also helps the giver. And that's what makes it so profound. I guess we've always sort of felt good about it, but now there's enough evidence to show that this is actually making that dual benefit. When you started off this journey, you were trying to kind of get people to snap out of their complacency and they're, they're talking about terms and yet they're, they're just throwing them around. And then you said, well, let's use love. So did that work? Did that really snap people out of their complacency? Is it still working? Are people responding to, to the idea that there should be love? Or are you still feeling that there's pockets of elements within, within the healthcare systems that you know, people still don't really want to talk about love? And, and can you share a little bit more about where you think that then that journey is going to go for you over the next few years? Love creates just enough uncomfortableness. <laughs> um, that that it creates that tension that you need really to make change. So we used love as kind of a catalyst. And I think people, you know, with having gone through what we've gone through with COVID, I think people really were ready for that. And they embraced it because they they wanted something more, both to add meaning back to what they're doing, um, and to get reconnected, but, you know, also to provide a great experience for their patients. And so people really embraced it. And do we still use love? Yeah, I still have squishy hearts that I share at like every event. Um, we still do weave love into the conversation. Um, I think we used it kind of as a, a big campaign. And now, you know, we're shifting to like some other campaign oriented things. Um, that still love is always a part of the conversation because, you know, I really do feel like, and, you know, we've used compassionomics from Dr. Tresiak. We had him here as a guest speaker. In fact, um, there is medical, you know, clinical evidence that shows that making that connection, like we said, not only, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on employee engagement and keeping that intact throughout COVID and the fallout of all that. Um, it hits all of those things. Like making those connections with people is is what I think is the solution to healthcare moving forward. So it's always going to be part of our narrative moving forward, you know. And we might shift a little bit in how we present what we're talking about, but but as far as I'm concerned, it's going to always play like that role. Um, but we did, you know, in all honesty, we did use it to create tension. People get uncomfortable when you start talking about love and and it, that's okay i i like that i i think it it helps open the door for those conversations that we need to have i love everything you guys have said and how dedicated you are to this and you said you know ahn really put their money where their mouth was five years ago six years ago when they formed this team and um dr sosha you said that they Put the physicians in charge. That was something that really made a difference. Putting those people who are doing the day-to-day -day in these positions so that they're making these differences. But the thing that stood out to me in the pre-interview, you said it's more than a metric. It's what defines you as an organization. 
And so just tell us what that means to you and what this has meant to your health system. Wow, that's, that's, that's a pretty heavy question. Uh, I'll tell you what it meant to, to us. Uh, we, we, by injecting and really working on this, this component of, of the healthcare, compassion and, and empathy, we're getting better outcomes. That is, that's what it's all about, right? We're, giving, we're getting healthier patients as a result of this. They're complying with what you have to say. So you get, that's what the essence of what we're here for is to get better outcomes. But the other thing that's been a, a, a true benefit here and a driver is you, you, everybody talks about this burnout factor, that there's physician burnout, there's healthcare burnout, especially with COVID. Nothing is a, there's no, you know, uh, Dr. Treziak's most recent book is called Wonder Drug. There's not a better therapy. There's not a better medication for burnout. There's not a better way to create resilience than empathy and compassion. It is the solution. And, and that drives us as well. We realize we have to work with this burnout. We're, we're working on resilience. We're working on the fact that we've lost a lot of healthcare workers that are not coming back. What can we do to retain the ones we have and make it an attractive place to come back and work for this organization. You want to work for us because this is the culture we, we, we speak to and we address. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. We appreciate both of your time. Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.